Well, we are honored that you're here today. Today, we are going to continue our series that we began last Sunday entitled Three Expressions. And what we uh, began to do last week is we began to kind of dive into three expressions of love expressed through the scriptures. And I hope that everybody had a great week. And I hope all you guys took my advice last week. Ladies, did they do okay? I heard a couple yeses, so that's all right. So anyway, guys, I'm just trying to help you out, right? I said if she didn't say she wanted something for Valentine's Day, she was lying, right? She wanted something, so I hope you got her something. But I hope you had a good Valentine's Day. But we, uh, we're going to continue. Last Sunday, as we started talking about love, we recognize that the foundation stone of all love is the agape love of God. It's God's love. It's the kind of love that impacts our lives. We recognized last Sunday that God's love really is the key to unlocking love relationships in our lives. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at the eros love. And that's the uh, Greek word eros is where we get our word erotic. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about sexual intimacy and sexual love. So today's message is PG-13. So uh, let me tell you why I think this is important. Let, let me say today, uh, the topic of sex and sexuality is usually not something that we talk about in church. And because we haven't talked about it in church, we have a whole generation, let me say not a generation, we have generations that have now been trained in sex and sexuality from the culture instead of from the Word of God. And when the church is silent on any topic, let me tell you what happens. When the church is silent on any topic, the world speaks louder. And the world just echoes those truths and those, or those ideas and those philosophies into our world. And so today, what we're going to do is we're just going to go back to the Scripture. And we're going to find out that God actually has a lot to say about sex. And God has a lot to say about sexuality. And God has a lot to say about that intimacy that he is really giving and calling us to uh, in the context we're going to see today in the context of marriage. And that little phrase, in the context of marriage, is going to mean a lot today. And I hope it's going to bring some clarity in kind of how we understand uh, what God is wanting to do. How many know that God's a good father? Come on, somebody. And when you begin to understand that God is good and everything that God does, God does out of a heart of love because he desires the best for each and every one of us. How many know the definition of sin is missing the mark? Sin is just coming short of the glory of God. If sin is recognizing that God's got this bullseye out here, and if we live the life God's called us to live, then we're going to hit the bullseye. We're going to have the greatest life, the best life, the, the life that brings not only pleasure and joy to us, but we're really going to have a life that brings honor and glory to God. And so today we're going to kind of dive into that. Before we look at our first scripture regarding Eros love, I want to look at 1 John chapter 4 and just revisit that one thought from last week. The Bible says this, 1 John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Y'all say that last part with me? God is love. And so what I want to say real quick is, is as we talk about Eros love today, and next Sunday we're going to talk about uh, phileo love or friendship love, what I want us to see this morning is that every expression of love that is not founded on the agape love of God becomes perverted. 
it becomes corrupted. It gets twisted, it gets turned, and all of a sudden, instead of being something that brings us life, it becomes something that brings death. Instead of being something that liberates us, it becomes something that binds us and brings us into a place of bondage. We're going to talk today, like I said, PG-13, we're going to talk a little bit about pornography, and I think everybody in this room can understand that there is a pornographic stronghold on our nation where we have generations of specifically not no longer just young men, but we have young men and young women now that are bound by an addiction to pornography. And how many of you know that addiction doesn't have an age group? That the stronghold of pornography that has gripped the hearts of many people is not, not geared just toward young people. It is geared to all generations. And so we're just going to see today how God wants to liberate us, how God wants to free us, and how God wants to empower us to live the life that he's called us to live. So look with me in the book of Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning. How about that? That would be a good place to start. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. The Bible says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. You could also say not good for a woman to be alone. All you ladies say amen. amen. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So look at that first point. So we were created by love, right? God is love, so we were created by love, and we were created to love. You were made by God who is love, and because you were made by God who is love, you were created to love, right? The Bible says it is not good for a man or for a woman to be alone. So God created us. I want you to get this. God created us for intimacy. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God. God created us for intimacy. In the very beginning, you were made by God who is love, and you were made to love one another. And there are, again, many expressions of that love. But today as we talk about that eros love, that romantic love, that sexual love, we recognize that sexual intimacy is a gift from God. Sex wasn't the devil's idea. Sex was God's idea. Can I get an amen? Right? God created sex, and God created sex to do many things. We're going to talk about expressions of that from pleasure to, to reproducing life and children. But we're going to see today that God's heart as a God of love, is that we would be in loving relationships with another, one another. And part of that loving relationship is that we have a place of sexual intimacy in the context, I'm going to use that word a lot today, of marriage. So, let me just make a real quick side note here. Yesterday, we had our singles conference. Any singles in the house this morning? There's one. Come on, anybody else? Why don't y'all just give a shout out for the singles? Come on, let's do that. Come on. Lord, help us, Jesus. Come on, right? So we got to help each other out. So let me just make this statement. So there are some people who, who choose to remain celibate, right? There are individuals who choose to remain celibate. They choose to not marry. And if you choose to not marry, then in biblical terms, you're choosing not to have sexual relationship with other people. And so there are individuals that choose to be single, and the Bible addresses that. I want you to see what Jesus says about this top topic of being celibate and being single. Matthew 19, verse 12. Jesus says, some were born as eunuchs. A eunuch was unable to have sexual relationships, and they were unable to reproduce. Some were born as eunuchs, and some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. 
So let me just say this to you today. If you're one of those individuals and maybe you're married and divorced and you're like, hey, Pastor Keith, I'm just not going to go back there. I'm going to remain single. I'm going to remain celibate. I'm going to honor God. Or maybe you've never been married and you're saying, you know what? I just feel like I'm supposed to consecrate my life to the Lord. I want to just encourage you, honor God with your singleness. How do you do that? If you're going to honor God with your singleness, with the goal of staying single, then make sure that you give yourself to the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul actually addresses this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says that those that are married have to care for their spouse. How many know if you're married, men, you got to take care of your wife and your family? Ladies, how many know if you're married, you got to take care of your husband and your kids? And all of a sudden, we have to care for one another. But he says those that are single can give themselves wholly and fully as unto the Lord. So if you're here today as a single person and you say, that's how I want to live my life, then let me encourage you, don't just live a life of abstinence from sex Live a life of purpose for the glory of God. And make sure that your singleness advances the kingdom of God just like our marriages actually should advance the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right, so we're going to move on because here's what I recognize. Even though there are individuals that choose to live that life of celibacy, most people in our world today desire that Eros love. Most people desire to have a sexual, intimate relationship with another person. So look with me in Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I actually believe right here in this verse is where God created the lazy boy recliner. Man fell into a deep sleep. How many of you guys know, man, nothing will put you to sleep quicker than a lazy boy? All right. Y'all laugh better in the early service. I appreciate that. Thank y'all. All right, verse 22. So the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Look at that first point on your outline. So the context for sexual intimacy, according to Scripture, is marriage. And the Bible actually defines marriage between one man and one woman. And so we understand something here, that the context for marriage, the context for sexual intimacy is marriage. And sex outside of marriage, I want you to hear this today. Sex outside of marriage is not just sin. Because sin is missing the mark. It misses the mark. But you know what sex outside of marriage is? It's an open door. It's an open door that allows the enemy to begin to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, many of you in this room are on the side, a little side of maturity. You're 20, 30, 40, 50. Some of you are even a little more mature than that. Somebody say, praise the Lord. How many know if you don't get older, you die? So it's good to get older. Come on, somebody. So let's just keep getting older. But here, here's what most of us in this room see. All of us in this room probably have some B.C. days, right? Some before Christ days, and then we have some after Christ days, right? And, and here's what we probably can all testify to. We can probably all look back on our B.C. days, maybe when we weren't walking in sexual purity, maybe we weren't living a life of abstinence and purity before the Lord, and maybe we were just out there, as the world says, sowing our wild oats. And here's what I think all of us that are in Christ today can look back at those days and recognize something. Recognize, here's what we recognize. 
it really didn't cultivate life. It actually opened the door for death. A lot of insecurities, a lot of fears, a lot of abuse, a lot of trauma. A lot of, a lot of question marks that have been kind of put across the hearts of people because they just felt like they could never measure up. And, and how many of you know in our, in our sexually crazy driven world, we have, we have an entire culture where we have, we have cheapened sex down to an act of pleasure and now we even have friends with benefits. And, and, and what we have done is, is we have removed the reality that sex, I want you to hear this today, sex is not just a physical act. Sex is a spiritual covenant between a man and a woman and God. God looks at sex as a covenant act of relationship. It's how we consummate our marriage relationship. And so when you think about sex, sex is not just this physical act that we have for pleasure. No, sex is a spiritual act of covenant that we engage in one with another. And all of a sudden we recognize that as we engage in what we would call an ungodly covenant, right, a covenant that is no longer based on love and commitment, but now just a covenant based on pleasure and fun, we open these doors for the enemy to begin to steal, kill, and destroy. So I want us to do something. I want, I want to read some scriptures we don't normally read in church, especially on a Sunday morning, uh, because the Bible gives us some beautiful imagery of what sexual immorality looks like and what it does into our lives. Before I do that, let me just tell you a quick story. A lot of times in our encounters, I'll have an opportunity to speak to some of our men, and when I'm speaking to men about sex and sexual purity, I, I love to use this, this illustration. So the context of marriage is huge. And let me tell you the context of marriage, why it's huge. It's huge because in the natural, let me give you an illustration. In the natural, how many know that if you got up this morning, you went to the kitchen faucet or you went to your refrigerator, mashed that little button and got water and filled up your glass? How many know the same water that comes out of your kitchen faucet and the same water that comes out of your refrigerator that you fill your drinking glass up with is actually the same water that goes in your toilet bowl? It is exactly the same water. But nobody in this room, when they get thirsty, go to the kitchen, get a glass out of the cabinet, walks in the bathroom, scoops them up some water out of the toilet, and says, hey, let me get a big drink. It's the same water. You know what's different? The context in which it is being delivered to you. And when you have sex outside of marriage, you're drinking water out of the toilet bowl. When you have sex outside of marriage, you're drinking water out of the toilet bowl. Nothing wrong with sex. It's good. It's God's idea. It's an awesome thing. Right? I'm in favor of more of it. <laughs> Kelly gave me a really nice smile there. PG-13, so we're going to move on. So, but here's the concept. I want you to understand. See, here's one of the challenges. I think that sometimes, especially as Christian parents, we teach our children, our young people about sex, and we just say, don't have sex, 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 don't have sex. But we, don't, we need to teach our children the truth about sex, that sex is a gift from God, that sex is a good thing, and that sex is something that we, we were created by God to enjoy and experience in the context of marriage. And outside the context of marriage, what you think will bring you pleasure will actually become an open door in your life that the enemy will use to abuse you. And you ladies feel this deeper than men because then men are just a little hard, more hard-headed than you ladies are. Y'all are more in touch. But we, Kelly and I, talk with so many women who carry emotional scars from sexual 
immorality and sexual acts in their life. And one of the things we used to, we used to tell our kids as we, Kelly and I used to work with our youth some, and, and one of the lessons we would teach about sexual purity is, is we'd take a piece of duct tape and I'd give it to all the boys and I'd have them put the duct tape on their arm and pull it off and put the duct tape on their arm and pull it off and put the duct tape on their arm and pull it off. And after about three or four times, it loses its stickiness. And the realization is that's what happens when we live sexually immoral lives. We lose our stickiness. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we, we go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another relationship, and what was intended to be an act of intimacy that binds us together with our spouse loses its power. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. God redeems, God restores, and God revives. Can I get an amen? And God can renew you, and God can revive you, and God can heal you of all those things. But the reality is simply this. It creates devastation. It creates wounds in the hearts of people, and we need to understand that. So sex is good. Sex is of God. But in the context of marriage is the only place that it produces the results that God intended it to produce. And if we can grab that, all of a sudden we can begin to embrace our sexuality and that Eros erotic love that God has given us as a gift to enjoy in the context of marriage. So let's listen to what the Bible says, Proverbs 5. The Bible says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. And then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman or an immoral man are as sweet as honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison and as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Think about that. It tastes like it's going to be honey, but it ends up being poison. You think it's going to bring you pleasure, but it's ultimately going to pierce your soul. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. So now, my son, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. For if you do, look at this, you will lose your honor. You will lose to merciless people all that you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Let me just stop for just a second and say this. You will lose your honor. Merciless people will take what you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Think about what divorce does. When there's infidelity in a marriage, and there, there are a lot of reasons for divorce, and there are biblical reasons for divorce. And so I'm not talking about those. But how many of you know that many times divorce happens because we get selfish and we become driven by lust instead of driven by love. And marriages fall apart. And divorce comes. And guess what happens through sexual sin? Man, it costs you. It doesn't just cost you physically. It doesn't just cost you mentally. It doesn't just cost you emotionally. It doesn't just cost you spiritually. It actually costs you financially. <laughs> Other people enjoy the fruit of your labor. <laughs> The world has a lot of ways to describe sexual intimacy and none of it is described as the Bible describes it when it comes to sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And God's word is true. And as we're reading these scriptures, I hope that, that the, the truth of scripture is just resonating in your heart. Man, that this is the reality of what happens when we operate outside. When we have eros love without agape love. And we're going to talk about that combination in just a minute. Let's finish reading it. 
He says, in the end, you will groan in anguish while disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Proverbs 7. He says, I saw, a naive, I saw naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of the immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was brash, rebellious type who, never, who was never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and the market soliciting on every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I have just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. And you're the one I'm looking for. I came out to find you. And here you are. And my, bread, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets and colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrhs, aloes, and cinnamon. So come and let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses for my husband. So this is not just an immoral woman. This is an adulterous woman. For my husband is not home. He is away on a long journey. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. Look at this. Like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a stag caught in a trap. Awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He is like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave, and her bedroom is the den of death. Doesn't sound like any kind of imagery Hollywood uses today to describe a sexually life, sexually immoral life. But that is the truth of Scripture. Now, the desire, let me just say this to you. The desire for Eros love, that sexual love, that romantic love is real. Men and women have a very real desire that is given to them by God. I want you to hear that. That Eros desire is a God-given desire. God created you with that desire. But how many of you understand that just like every good thing that God creates, Satan wants to pervert what God created. He wants to create a counterfeit to the real. And what we have recognized in our world today, what many call love is really lust. What many call pure is really impure. And what many call right and holy is really not right and not holy. And we've got to discern the truth. Not so we can condemn people, but so we can love people. So we can encourage people. So we can help people. Because until you know the truth, you can't be set free. You know what, that, isn't that what Jesus said? You shall know the truth, and it's the truth that shall what? So we love people enough to speak truth, never condemning, never judging, never throwing any stones. I don't have any stones to throw, but I do have the truth of God that when we allow God's truth to work in my life, which is where it always has to start, and then hopefully work in your life, that word, that truth begins to bring freedom and liberty to our lives. So we have a real desire for this Eros love. And it's proven, let me just say this to you today, it's proven through, our, through the pornography industry. Oh, I want to give you some statistics about the pornography industry today. The porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS all combined. The porn industry actually creates more revenues than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB all combined. In the average year in America, 
The porn industry will produce anywhere from $15 billion to $97 billion a year. And listen to this statistic. statistic. I thought this was interesting. Every second, $3,075.64. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography. Every second. $3,075.64 being spent on pornography every second. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that... Number one, there's a big problem. But it also tells us, listen to this, it also tells us that there is a real desire. There's a real desire in the hearts of human beings that were created in the image of God for an intimate sexual relationship. And the fact that there's a billion-dollar industry called pornography means that the church needs to be shouting from the rooftop the truth of the gospel about sex and sexuality from God's perspective because how many of you understand pornography never fills the void, it creates a greater void. It never satisfies the heart, it creates more problems in the heart. But there is a biblical solution for that desire for Eros love. It's called marriage between one man and one woman. God intended it that way. And God created this beautiful thing called love and marriage so we could have a place for this Eros love to be fulfilled in a way that brings life and health and godliness. Sex between a married couple is not just good, it's godly. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Sex between a married couple is not just a good thing. It is a godly thing. It honors God. Because God created us for intimacy. And God doesn't create something good and then say, oh, I'm never going to let you have it. No, God creates something good. And then he creates a context where that good thing will produce the greatest life it could ever produce. And that's called the context of marriage. So look at that next thought. So true Eros love comes with a covenant. A covenant to leave and cleave. Isn't that what Adam said? For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave to his wife. How many of you understand that where there is true Eros love, there's a covenant, right? We put a ring on it. Right, my ring on my hand, Kelly's ring on her hand, is a symbol of a covenant. Right, we are in covenant one with another. And not only did we leave our father and mother, but guess what? We left everybody else too. We left everybody so we could cleave to the one somebody that we were going to make our life with. And God, in that context of Eros love, he recognized the only way that Eros love could be a life-giving love is that it had to be in the context of a covenant. Because if not, it would, it would ultimately undermine the very thing that he wants to do within us. And it would open the door for the enemy to begin to steal, kill and destroy. Lust, think about this, is driven by self-gratification. How many know that in pornography there is no covenant <laughs> other than the subscription that you subscribe to where they can get your money? There's no covenant in pornography. There's no covenant in sexual acts of immorality. Because lust is driven by a self-gratification. It's all, what can you do for me? How can you please me? How can you make me happy? How can you serve me? How can you help me? How can you gratify the needs of my own heart and my own life? 
Lust is driven by self-gratification. Eros love is driven by a mutual satisfaction. Our son, Levi, I don't know if Levi and Chloe, he's in the back back there. Levi and Chloe just got married in September. Before Levi got married, I said, Levi, let me ask you a question. I said, are you ready to die to yourself every day and put her needs above your needs every day for the rest of your life because that's what marriage is? Levi said, yeah, I'm ready. I thought, oh my goodness, helping Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> Chloe, is he doing all right? She shook her head, yes, so he's, he's, he's doing good. But how many know that's what marriage is? It's a covenant where I'm saying I'm going to die to myself every day and I'm going to put your needs above my needs. And she says, I'm going to die to myself every day and I'm going to put your needs above my needs. And let me tell you what happens. Think about that. What would happen in your marriage? What would happen in our world if marriages really were driven by that kind of eros love? You know what would happen? Marriages would be happy. Marriages would be godly. Marriages would be fun. Man, it would, be a bo- it would be a joy to be married, right? It grieves my heart when I hear somebody talk about their ball and chain or my old wife. I'm like, oh. I'm like, man, you, you're so, in my mind, I just think you're so missing out on what marriage is all about. It's a place where mutual joy, mutual satisfaction really can happen. Where I die to myself, she dies to herself, and we live to please one another. And guess what? If two people are doing that, you can't help but be happy. You can't help but be godly. You can't help but produce fruit that brings glory and honor to God. And that's God's plan. That's God's plan for our lives. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Jesus uh, says, So then, talking about marriage, leaving and cleaving to, uh, uh, from your father and mother to your wife, he says, So the two, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So look at that next point. Satan does everything he can to get you to have sex before you get married. And he does everything he can to keep you from having sex after you're married. (laughs) Why? Because sexual intimacy is the one thing that sets your marriage apart from every other relationship. Think about it. Remember right before you got married, for all you married folks, remember before you got married, it took every bit of self-restraint you had not to have sex. And then when you get married, I don't know how long it takes, and maybe it's different for everybody, but it seems like there comes a moment where now, as a married couple, you're having to fight just to have sex. Isn't that interesting? Let me tell you why it's interesting. interesting because it's a clue to the significance of a sexual relationship between a husband and wife. Because sex between a husband and wife is the one thing that a husband and wife share with each other that they don't share with anyone else. It sets your relationship apart from every other relationship that you have. This is my dad right here. We call him Papa Larry. And, and, and Papa Larry is not my dad. He's my friend. And, and how many know me and Papa Larry, we can laugh together. We can, we can cry together. We can go out to eat together. We can go to the movies together. We can buy groceries together. We can even run a house together. Because he's my dad and he's my friend. But there's only one thing that I do with my wife that I don't do with anybody else. And that's sex. There's only one thing. You can laugh, cry, hoop, holler, joke, have fun with anybody else. But there's only one thing that is reserved for your marriage relationship. And that is sexual intimacy. 
And the devil knows that if he can separate husband and wife from having sexual intimacy, he can drive a wedge in that relationship. And instead of strengthening it, he can weaken it through the absence of sexual intimacy. Years ago, somebody told Kelly and I this. I think it was maybe Brother Rod and Mary. They told us that sex in a, for a married couple is spiritual warfare. <laughs> Sex for a married couple is spiritual warfare. Why? Because when we're having sexual intimacy as a married couple, you know what we're doing? We are fighting off the enemy and the temptation to be drawn away to look anywhere else. And ladies, do you realize that you're the only person on planet earth that can satisfy that desire in your husband? And men, do you understand you are the only person on planet earth that can satisfy that desire in your wife? And so we've got to recognize something. We've got to recognize. Let, let, me, let me just let me be real honest, all right? So Kelly and I have been married 33 years. And we've had wonderful seasons when it came to sexuality. And we've had difficult seasons when it came to sexuality. We had seasons where it was as easy as it could be. And we've had seasons where it was as hard as it could be. And there have been physical problems. And there have been emotional challenges. And there have just been life challenges that have got in the way of our sexual intimacy. I mean, you start having babies, you're like, whoo, come on. You don't even have time to breathe, much less to have sex. PG-13, I told you, so we're good. Y'all good? But here, here's what I can tell you today. I can tell you today that, that as a married couple, you got to fight for it. you got to fight for intimacy. you, you got to fight and make it a priority in your marriage. And if there's physical problems, then go to the doctor. Younger ladies talk with older ladies. Let's help each other out. Let's figure out a way how we can cultivate intimacy in our marriages. Why? Because it strengthens us, it unites us, and it sets our marriage apart from every other relationship on planet Earth. And that's a powerful thing. And it's a good thing. It's a gift from God that He intends us to be able to enjoy. But more than just our enjoyment, it brings, it brings a unity in our lives like nothing else. Amen? All right. Y'all still with me? Okay. Let's read some more scripture we don't normally read in church. Here we go. Proverbs 5. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you. PG-13. There we go. Let her breast satisfy you always, and may you always be captivated by her love. Now listen to that scripture. Does that sound like a couple that's married that don't like being together? Or does that sound like God has a plan where we are enraptured with one another's love in the context of marriage? And I say that again just to drive home the idea that Satan works overtime to get us together outside of marriage and he works overtime to keep us apart in the context of marriage. And so we recognize God's desire for intimacy in marriage is a beautiful, glorious thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says this, Now regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relationships. Now what I love about that first verse, he says, now, regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. So, apparently, the Corinthians had written the Apostle Paul a letter asking him about sex outside of marriage. 
That's awesome. They were talking about sex in the church. Somebody say amen. amen. Not that I want to do it every Sunday, but every now and then we'll be okay. Here we go. Verse 2. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And the husband, look at this, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. For the wife gives authority of her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now look at this, verse 5. So do not deprive each other of sexual relationship. Don't deprive one another. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So think about this. The biblical requirement for abstaining from sex in marriage is that you're going to devote yourself to a season of prayer. Curtis loved it. <laughs> now look, look at this. Look at the rest of this verse. He says, and afterwards... You should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sexual intimacy in marriage is spiritual warfare that shuts down the temptation of the enemy and allows us to focus our lives on our spouse and on what God is calling us to do in our families, our church, and our community. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to the beginning. And then the Lord God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So look at that last point. So God's first command to mankind was to be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply. Sexual intimacy in marriage creates unity. It creates life. But it also reproduces, think about this, reproduces the image of God in the earth. Human beings were made in the image and likeness of God. Yes, sin has perverted that image. Sin has corrupted that image of God. But how many of you know as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to reproduce the image of God in the hearts and lives of our children. What a blessing. What a blessing. Children are a gift from God. Listen to that last statement. And the ultimate goal of intimacy. One of the greatest goals of intimacy, not the only goal, but one of the greatest goals of intimacy in the mind of God is that we would have children. That we would have children, that we would produce a godly offspring, that we would replenish the earth and we would fill the earth and subdue it with children who are being raised into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you an unusual statistic. This was a number that we heard several years ago, but one of the strategies of the Muslim community one of the strategies of the Muslim community, one of their ways that they believe they're going to take over the world is simply this. They're going to have more children than Christians do. That's one of their strategies. They're just going to reproduce and have more children. And here's what happens in a Muslim community. They raise their children in the image of a false god who denies Jesus as being the Son of God. And who believes in any and everybody else that doesn't worship Allah is an infidel that deserves to die. And yet we as born-again Christians 
have thought that sex was just for pleasure, and we sure enough don't want to get pregnant. And we recognize that we've missed a key ingredient in what God created sexual intimacy for so we could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with a godly seed that would carry on the banner of Jesus Christ. And that's powerful. Now, let me give you one more scripture. It's not on the screen or on your outline, but you can write it down. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Listen to this. Godly children from your union. Godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. God doesn't hate divorced people. God loves divorced people. There's forgiveness, there's restoration, and there's new beginnings if you're divorced. But God hates divorce. And this is what I found out. I found out that people that have went through divorce, even when it was the right thing to do, and even when it was the biblical thing to do, they walked out of it understanding, hey, it created pain. <laughs> even though it was the right thing, and even though it was a biblical thing that we need to be divorced, it still hurt. And it still wounded us, and it even more significantly wounded our children. God hates divorce because he wants godly seed. God hates divorce not because he don't like people that are struggling. God hates divorce because look what he goes on to say. Look at that last part of this verse. He says, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, in biblical times when this was written, a woman could not own property. She did not have a job. She did not earn money outside the home. So think about what happened to a woman that was divorced in that time. She had no way of providing for herself. And if her father or another male relative did not take her in under their care, she was basically a goner. And God says, don't do it. I love your wife. Love the wife of your youth. Be faithful to your spouse. And so I just want you, to, I want you to hear the heart of God. We were created, listen to me, we were created for eros love. Eros love rooted in agape love produces covenant relationships. We were created for intimacy. And we've got to be willing to fight for that intimacy. And we've got to recognize that one of the greatest responsibilities that we have as married couples, if God gives us the opportunity to have children, I understand not every couple can have children, and, and, and the Lord bless you and keep you. And, and, and we do pray. Kelly and I pray for those who, who desire to have children and have not yet been able to conceive. It, it burdens our heart. But if you've had the opportunity to have children, or if you can adopt children or foster children, man, recognize what God has entrusted to us, that the act of intimacy is that we can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with godly seed. I, I just heard a statistic this week, and I'm going to wrap us up. Over... 51% of born-again Christians believe that the spiritual development of their children is the responsibility of the church. Over 51% of born-again Christians believe that the spiritual development of their children is the responsibility of the church. Let me tell you what God says. Parents, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 100% of the spiritual development of your child falls on your shoulders. 
And the church gets to be a supplement. We get to add a 10% to your 100%. And here's, here's unfortunately what happens. If, if we don't take that responsibility, if we don't see our children as a gift from God and we don't recognize that part of intimacy is that we can reproduce life and there's not a mom in here today. Let, let me just encourage our moms for a second. We live in a culture that has devalued motherhood. That has devalued it. That somehow if a woman just wants to be a mom, she's kind of sold herself short. I want to tell you something. The highest honor you can have is to be a father and to be a mother. That's the greatest honor you can have on planet earth because God has entrusted you an eternal soul that will live forever in heaven or in hell. And you have the, 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 the joy and the honor and the privilege of, of, of raising that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, training them up in the love and the grace of God so that they become followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the good news. The good news is we've all screwed up and messed up and we've all come short of the glory of God. Hey, today's a good day to begin again. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, today's a great day just to begin again. So I want us to do this. I'm just going to let you stand to your feet and just bow your head. I'm not going to ask our prayer teams to come forward this morning. But I just want us for just a moment every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to just challenge you today. I, I want to challenge you to evaluate your sexuality in light of the Word of God. And I want you to hear me today. No condemnation. No condemnation. God, God didn't send me here today to condemn anybody. God sent me here today to love you enough to, to just share truth with you. And I don't know where you find yourself in all these things. We've talked about a lot of elements of this Eros love. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't know where you find yourself today, but let me just encourage you, wherever it is, just turn to the Lord. Let's take it to God. Let's take it to God. If you're out there and, and you know right now you're living a life that's not pleasing to God in the area of your sexuality, sexual sin, pornography, Man, today is the day not to be condemned. Today is the day to repent. Just to turn to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I acknowledge that it's sin. I acknowledge that I'm missing the mark. I acknowledge that I'm coming short of the glory of God. And Lord, you have a better way of life for me. And God, I want to just shut the door. Aren't you tired today of letting the devil steal, kill, and destroy? Aren't you tired of, of what promises you satisfaction to just create a deeper void in your life? Today you can turn to Jesus. Today you can look to the Lord and you can say, God, I just repent of my sin and I, I ask you to forgive me and heal my heart, Lord. Lord, I just want to shut those doors. So maybe that's just what you need to do right now. Lord, I just shut those doors. God, I repent of my sin and I, I shut every open door of immorality in my life. I shut those doors, God. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're single and maybe, maybe you, you are single but you don't want to remain single. Let me encourage you, in your singleness, honor God and God will honor the desire that He's put in your heart to have a spouse and have a mate. But honor God. Our singles theme conference yesterday was no, N-O, until you know. Say no to anything that's going to compromise the marriage and the future that God has for you. Say no to anything that's going to compromise or undermine what God desires to do in your life. And if you are here today and you're married and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, man, maybe, man, we're struggling in the area of sexual intimacy. 
Man, I, I want to encourage you to be spiritual and be practical all at the same time. Be spiritual. Begin to ask God to move. Begin to ask God to, to give you those desires. Begin to ask God to stir up maybe those embers that once burned in your heart. And if there's physical issues, I, I want to challenge you to be practical. Go to the doctor. Talk to somebody older than you that's married that's probably been through some of those physical problems that you're facing right now. Talk to somebody. Don't, don't just sit by. Don't just throw up your hands. Don't just say, well, we just can't do that, and that's not going to be a part of our marriage. I, I want you to hear me today. God desires you to have that, that Eros love. And it unites your marriage in a, in a special way. And so I don't know where you're at in any of those situations, but I encourage you, just turn to the Lord this morning. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're watching online, and, and maybe you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, I, I don't even know the Lord. You're talking about being a child of God and serving God and consecrating my life to the Lord. And, but I don't even know God. I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. But I want to be today. I, I want to accept Christ. I want to be born again. That's what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. And if you've never been born again today and you realize right now the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, God is knocking on your heart's door, the old pastors used to say. And you know right now that the Lord is drawing you to himself. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. So if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Today I want to accept Christ. I want to be born again. I've never made that decision, but today is my day. Today I want to be a child of God. I, I want to go from standing on the outside. I want to be pulled in to the family of God. In fact, you just slip your hand up. We're about to pray across this room. We're going to pray with those that are watching online. I'm going to ask everybody just to pray this prayer with me out loud. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And he rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Well, we love you guys. Have a blessed, blessed day in the Lord, and we will see you soon.